Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast by Swapcard, the leading virtual, hybrid, and in-person event platform. Inside Events is your go-to podcast for fresh insights from the world's top event professionals. Here is your host, Bob Chain from Swapcard. Good afternoon, marketing and event professionals, and welcome to the Inside Events Podcast powered by Swapcard. I'm excited to welcome everyone to another great episode to talk all things marketing, events, and engagement. Once again, I am your host, Bob Chain, a strategic account manager here at Swapcard to help navigate the exploration of all things events, marketing, and hybrid. As we are seeing so many interesting innovations within our space, we are thrilled about the opportunity to highlight some of the top minds within the industry and really lean on their experiences to drive the innovation that we're seeing. With this in mind, I'm thrilled to introduce our first guest, who is a self-described true tech cat, or also known as a tech catalyst, Laurie Schwartz, who is the founder of StoryTech, which really facilitates communication between storytellers and companies. Having worked with such organizations as CES, NAD, AdTech, she is an expert in driving the crossword between emerging technologies and media and marketing. Laurie, welcome to the Inside Events Podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. And I love to hear you describe what I do because then I know that I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I like you being called a tech cat. And, and, and Lori, with that, I, I know that was a very, I guess, high level discussion of your experience and uh, background. But if you could just provide a little bit more context on this work and really how you're applying your time, especially in the digital first environment that we're in today. Absolutely. So a lot of what I do is what we would call experiential marketing. So it manifests at a lot of live events. And this is really an evolution of my career. I started out on the innovation side at a large ad agency. And when I left that full-time job and I started to build my own consultancy, I started moving away from working directly for ad agencies and brands and into working more directly for events. And over the last few years, my primary base of clientele are, are large event organizations or associations or brands and agencies and tech companies that are doing things at these events. And it manifests as just creating some sort of event experience where I'm connecting the dots between attendees, exhibitors, and sponsors and just really helping all of them get the most out of the event. And so that's the experiential part. And it's really being a translator of all of their world so that they can work better with each other. Sorry, just to answer the other part of your question, it's translated in the last year to virtual. As we've all gone through our own digital transformations, the type of work I've been doing has been very video centric, very much in streaming environments still connecting the dots, but doing it almost as a live TV producer. And, and I think that translation between these different mediums are definitely something that we're going to be diving into a bit uh, later today as well. And I know you heard him a little bit earlier, but our second guest is prominent keynote speaker, event MC Tom Singer. Tom's focus is really humanizing digital engagements. And really that cannot be more timely than it is in today's world. Having authored 12 books, he has recently focused his time on how to better make connections and engagements in virtual and digital environments. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. 
Now, I guess similar question to Lori's to start us all off, but just can you provide a little bit more of that experience and really help frame the conversation? And as we really start to highlight some of the key work that is being done today within the event space. So my background has been for the last 12 years working as a professional speaker at mostly in-person events. But seven years ago, my friend Eliz Green and I created a thing that we originally called the conference talk show because we saw hybrid events as something we thought was going to explode seven years ago. We really thought they were going to become the big deal. And there was a lot more to a successful hybrid than just live streaming your main stage. So we started interviewing remote viewing audiences about what did you want from the experience of being online. So we were a little bit ahead of the game. And as it turned out, associations and companies really didn't want to spend the money of creating a whole secondary conference for this virtual side. So we sort of tabled the conference talk show and we've brought it back in the last year under the, the guise of the webinar talk show. And what we do is we talk to our clients about ways to have your event be more engaging. And part of that is through the, the use of a good master of ceremonies who can take into effect like interviewing. One of the big things that we've seen success with, both when Eliz and I work together and when we work separately with clients, is sponsor value. So sponsors, whether it's an in-person event, virtual event, or hybrid, Sponsors want to know, how am I going to get exposure? How am I going to get FaceTime? And one of the best things you can do in a virtual and hybrid situation is to sit down and interview the sponsor and really get them to share not just a commercial about their company, but really their cause behind uh, why they sponsor the industry, why they support the different events that take place. And so that's just one of the many things that, that I've done in the past year is really focused on fine-tuning my abilities as an interviewer because when I'm serving as an MC in this virtual environment, interviews become much better than just talking heads over PowerPoint. And I think that's really interesting, especially when we're starting to talk about the idea of creating more engagement and especially driving a different type of content just in a new format. And really, Lori, as we start to look back to pre-pandemic, I know a lot of your work was to create experiences in events to really drive that conversation around innovation and trends within a specific industry. How has really this changed as we're looking at virtual first experiences and would love to begin to talk about how you're starting to envision this potentially being done, say through a more hybrid model, potentially as early as later this year. Yeah, I think a great example of all of that is one of the bigger products that I get asked to do, which is give show floor tours at big trade shows. And having to take that in March and April, when a lot of shows came to me and said, okay, we're going virtual, how do we take this tour experience? How do we allow all of our attendees to still connect with our exhibitors and also to understand what are the trends at the show so that there's context? And so we created virtual tour products. And it was pretty challenging because one of the things that's so great about the tour in person is you stumble upon exhibitors as you're walking by them and you have conversations. And so we had to really change the model, pre-curate and basically book exhibitors to speak on camera and show a B-roll of their product and then arrange it as you would any production, have a you know cue sheet, figure out who, was who we were gonna cut to and arrange all of that ahead of time. And so a very different experience from walking a floor and while planned, stumbling upon booths. 
So we literally had to book, say, seven exhibitors to be prepared to go on to a Zoom or a Skype or whatever the video format was, have some B-roll cut to them, and then also teach our audience, and it really is the culture of the show, and also people getting used to this, teach the audience to be okay about typing in questions, about having dialogue. So getting people to participate in virtual was also part of it. So there's part one of creating that show, where, where the tour is literally translated to a show, getting those exhibitors to show great B-roll of their product, to talk about their product, to be really concise. And to Tom's point, not death by PowerPoint, because we're not trying to put together webinars. We're trying to create an experience and show product and show what, why that exhibitor is special and how they're going to contribute to your business. So we have to get through that hurdle. And then the second hurdle is getting the audience to want to play. And what I found earlier in the year was that people understood the Zoom world and they were comfortable with typing in questions but they were not so comfortable showing their face. And so very early on, people were choosing just to have their face not there and just do texting. We then worked on, could you just ask your question through audio? And that seemed to go a little better. And then now I'm finding that people are more willing to come on camera than they were. So I really think this digital transformation is on all sides of this. It's not only us as the facilitators of the experience, but it's also the participants. It's just as important for us to see them, hear from them, read their body language as much as we can in this environment. And then as we move to hybrid, what I think will be most interesting, the conversations I'm having now with a lot of shows is, yes, we're going to do live. It'll be much smaller because not everyone's going to want to come back to live right away. But then maybe post-show, we have a more summary version of the tour in digital and go back to the model that we sort of just did with some perfections. And that will reach a global audience, so more people than could normally come. And it'll also reach the people that maybe aren't ready to be in person yet. And so I think the real effort right now is that all of these shows and clients need to be building the environment that can tie the CRM together in live and in virtual so that I can track you both as an attendee physically, but I can also track you as an attendee virtually and then I can send you the right information and manage my relationship with you after the show. So that's going to be the challenge for hybrid and this is a true web digital user experience technology challenge. It is not an event challenge. It's a build, build a digital platform that can manage those two worlds together and it's a different set of skills. Definitely. And I think it's interesting you mentioned the idea of chat-based communication versus audio and camera and what we're seeing today, especially with the emergence of applications like Clubhouse, let's say, which is yeah. audio only and really almost, I guess, reducing that barrier to every single type of attendee that exists, knowing that everyone's comfort levels are differently and making sure that whatever solution you are having as trying to be that connector between these audiences 
has all of those different opportunities available to allow for that. And going along the lines of the creation of content and then driving the engagement with that. That kind of reminds me of Tom, one of your recent talks at Expo Expo at the end of 2020, and really speaking on this idea of maximizing sponsor value, which I believe is the million dollar question that exists in the virtual world today, and is going to be even more important in the hybrid world, knowing that there's going to be a potential new cost structure and business model that will emerge from that. So what are you really seeing as some of those bigger opportunities or things within say hybrid experiences or even a, a virtual experience to drive that sponsorship ROI? Well, I kind of said it in the introduction. The biggest thing I've seen is if you properly structure interviews, and this means you have to have somebody who, who knows how to do interviews, doing the interview. It can't just be a list of questions. It has to be a true conversation. Like you're sitting down with that sponsor, having a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, and asking them questions that aren't conference specific, because one of the biggest values is those sponsors can take those videos and use them on their social media. They can use them on their site. And so you want it to be related to the conference, but you don't want it to be branded all around the conference because then they can't use it elsewhere. So that's the biggest sponsor value I've seen. The other thing is that if you're doing breakout rooms or online things, having the sponsors involved in that chat, it's setting up a community, if you will, where sponsors get to play. I recently attended a hybrid event and there was 30 people in the audience and 300 people online. So there were two different audiences. The MCs and the speakers had to talk to both of them. And some of them did a great job at that. And some of them just catered to the in-person room a little too much. But I noticed the person next to me had logged on to the virtual version of the conference and turned his sound off and he was participating in the chat. And I realized, wow, that was a great idea. So I did the same thing and it transformed my experience as a live attendee because it brought me into being able to talk with the people who were virtual. And I started thinking that this is what we need to do with our sponsors. We need our sponsors in a hybrid event to be present on site and give them access to be in that chat room and those breakout rooms that are going on with that virtual audience. So everyone, whether it's your sponsors, your attendees, live or virtual, the more you can get them engaged and feeling like they're part of the event, the better experience they're gonna have. And if we're gonna go deep into this hybrid game, planners need to realize you're planning two different events. The NFL plans yeah. for the experience of the people in the stadium and they plan for the experience of the people who are watching on television and through the internet and on radio, et cetera. Now, the content is the same, it's the football game, but how they're filling the gaps where there's commercials, how they're filling halftime, how they're filling timeouts are very different and very well thought out in advance. There's t-shirt cannons for the people in the stadium and there's the Super Bowl commercials for the people at home. And there's entertainment on site and you can't just live stream that main thing and think you're gonna engage all audiences because they're very different. Yeah, it's just funny, Tom, just uh, if I may, the big hot trend right now is NFTs, right? Non-fungible tokens, which is all about taking a digital asset and giving it some value. So I can absolutely see that, to your point, becoming that new digital t-shirt that gets shot out of the cannon. What did you get at this event that has some value? So I think that it's an exciting time because I think both virtual and physical will both have value. 
And we might even see over time distinctive audiences growing that have different needs. Because cognitively, when you chat and text, when you type, you're asking a question differently than you would verbally, right? And your brain is doing it in a different way. And both have pluses and minuses. I think in-person's a little bit more guarded, but also more reactive. Typing, you can get really specific and detailed and really get to what you want, but you're being a little bit more formal. So it's very interesting how these worlds are going to play against each other. And one, one more kind of unique thing is if you think back to the days of in-person only for a trade show, vendors would often take people out to dinner. So there'd be all kinds of dinners going on after the show had closed for the day. And some of them were sponsored dinners that were sanctioned, you know, by the, the conference itself. And some of them were pirate events, if you will, where they took people off site and, and rented a ballroom or rented a private room at a restaurant and things like that. So I recently was emceeing a conference and there was a VIP level as an attendee, you had to pay more. And then a couple of the sponsors uh, paid to sponsor it. And then I was included because I was the MC. And everyone who participated, and there was only like 40 people who participated in this evening event, everybody was sent a bottle of wine and cheeses that were sourced and sent through local cheese shops. It was not an easy thing to put together. And so everybody got a plate of cheese that was a certain kind of cheese and certain wines. And then they had a salmonier and a cheesemonger online in the Zoom room, walking people through the pairings and the tastings. And it was an extra opportunity for the sponsors. It was a smaller group. It probably wasn't 40 people. It was probably more than 25. And there were three or four people from the sponsors and then 20 VIPs in this. And it was just a fun social thing, but it gave the sponsors an extra chance to have an evening add-on event. Uh, and it was sanctioned by the organization that was hosting the thing. But we have to be thinking of not all programming has to be for everybody. You can have certain programming that happens for certain demographics of your attendees. Uh, and I think people forget that. They think, oh, we have to make it exactly the same for the people in the audience and exactly the same for everyone who's online. And I think you have to tailor the experiences. Well, and I love that too, Tom, because I, I also attended an event where throughout the day they sent things. So like early in the day they sent a hat and then a messenger came around three or four o'clock with a cocktail mix and salsa and chips. And that was the networking portion and we all opened our packages and on a kind of Zoom-like interface got to network. And that's bringing the fun back into all of this because we've all been so isolated, but also the act of having something physical while you're doing this also connects your brain again in another level. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing. There's science to some of this. There's a reason that holding things and touching them connects you more to what's going on here too. So all of that plays so nicely together and it's opportunities. It's just cost and fulfillment and a lot of planning, but it is to your point, a beautiful sponsorship opportunity. It really is. Yeah, and I think with all these, you know, different opportunities and things, it's almost like it's opening the door to these additional yeah. potential elements. And as we're looking at what this can provide long term, I believe, yeah. Laura, you already called it that 365 connection and really developing out that community that could exist, especially with experiential marketing. Why are you feeling that looking outside of, say, strictly what we describe as an event, which is a finite 
amount of time that exists either annually or biannually would be so crucial for these audience to have access to each other outside of that time frame as well. I, th I think uh, Tom spoke to this too, but I think that you have to look at your attendees as fans and you have to treat them like fans. And fans are not just at that one game. They are a fan every day, all their life. And so any chance to connect with your fan is an important one. And so there's a little bit of a, what can we send this month to reconnect you? And also you wanna to build towards the live event. So the live event is a payoff to all the things that you've seeded across that time. So I think it's very important to keep connecting with your audience, especially because there's Clubhouse and there's Instagram and there's all these other channels. And so you don't have to do everything because it's very overwhelming, but you should think of what are the right channels to connect with my audience throughout the year? What can I feed them to keep their fan base happy? And then what can be delivered at the end? And by the way, your fans are going to help drive the content at the show so it's relevant and has context. So they are your best content creators in themselves because they will self-identify the enthusiasts. They will become the promoters and the sales arm for you, but they'll also identify for you the trends and the issues that you want played out at your event. And so building out a 364 day of the year fan club is really for your own events salvation in many ways. It will be relevant, it will be timely, it will be a reunion. A lot of these people live globally and never see each other. And so that event, whether it's virtual or real, becomes a time to hang out with your fellow geeks. Think about, just to get really geeky, a Star Trek convention. Like all these people dressing up as their favorite Star Trek people. I'm not saying I've ever been to one. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine all the Ahoras kind of meeting and having their own like fun coffee meeting. So it's just, it's an opportunity to connect and build community. So both of you at separate times during this interview have mentioned Clubhouse. And so I just wanted to share something I saw one association do twice now in the last month. One, it was the National Speakers Association, which I'm really involved in. In fact, I'm the host of their podcast, so now I'm super involved because I'm in touch with the staff weekly as we, we create this new show called Speakernomics. But with their winter conference and then with their town hall meeting that was earlier today, the day we're recording this, in both cases, at the end of the day at the winter conference, which was hybrid, there were people on site and there were people online, they did a clubhouse recap room. And what they did is they did it for all people who were in the speaking industry. It wasn't just for NSA members, but they recapped what went on at the conference that day, talking about the speakers, the ideas, the takeaways. And they ended up with more people who weren't part of the association and weren't attending the conference in the recap. But then that becomes top of the funnel. People are now exposed to their association. They're exposed to the ideas everybody's sharing. And people were like, wow, I didn't know about this event. I would have come in person if I knew that I could. And then they did a, a town hall meeting. They do these, I think, quarterly for their members, and they do them on Zoom and on Facebook Live. And an hour afterwards, they had the National Speakers Association town hall recap on Clubhouse, and they invited people who were involved in the town hall meeting to come and recap. And again, a lot of members who weren't able to attend the main thing, but even more non-members came. So I think what we're learning from this is you can cross-pollinate different platforms. 
I've been at yeah. several events where their platform doesn't allow for breakout rooms like Zoom meeting does. So at the end of the day, they switch over to Zoom. And, and originally people are like, oh, our people won't do that. And I'm like, well, get on a bus and drive to the Museum of Art for the right. cocktails at your in-person event. Why not? If you just tell them in advance at five o'clock, we'll end on this platform. We'll send you a new link and we'll go in and then we can use the breakout rooms in Zoom for networking. And I had many clients push back on it and we just called it like, hey, we're all going to the hotel bar. You have to click on this link. And people came. It's actually, you can cross pollinate different online platforms for what needs you have for your conference. You don't just have to say, oh, we're using this one online for our hybrid and that's all we can use. No, if they don't have a something you need, you can go to Clubhouse and have an audio discussion or you can go to Zoom and use the breakout rooms. People will do it if you set it up in the context of there's a purpose for this. And I love too that you used a non-digital no expression. The analogy, yeah. Yes. We're meeting for cocktails in Clubhouse or we're meeting for post-discussion. We, we did one recently where we were on Zoom and Clubhouse at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so you had to basically double touch unmute <laughs> on Clubhouse and on Zoom. And then we all stayed on in the Clubhouse afterwards for the bar hangout. And yep. we referred to it as let's go all hang out in the bar. And you're absolutely right, Tom. The same thing happened, more people joined. So it's absolutely fascinating. What will remain to be seen is Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces or any of these things. What happens in six months when we're all freed from the isolation and we're back in our regular lives? Now we're not gonna be back in the same way. Will those platforms still have the same weight? I, I don't know. I suspect that they will in a different way, but I think you're absolutely right. You can move your people to where you want them to go for different needs. Well, and in answer to will they be around, my thought is that it used to be if you attended South by Southwest, you physically had to have a badge and be in Austin, Texas, or you could not play. But now you could have after hours things in Clubhouse and someone who couldn't afford to go or had a conflict could still come and be in Clubhouse or be in a Zoom breakout room with people. And I think for meeting planners, Instead of saying the only people who can play at my conference are people who paid, I think you can have sort of a tiered thing. You can have people who are in person, people who paid for the virtual, and then at night or at three o'clock or whatever, you could open it up and have a clubhouse pizza party with anyone who's interested in your yeah. area of topic. I love as, that. as long as you have a good moderator who makes sure that there's a purpose and a flow to your clubhouse or your Zoom room, you can open it up and expose people to your event who never would have seen it. So I would hope these extra add-ons in the digital world don't go away when we return to personal, because I think that we can all get more exposure and essentially get more attendees next year if we do it right. And, and I think, Tom, sorry, Robert, but Tom <laughs> brought up a great point. And I think we both feel very strongly about this. And that is that you absolutely have to have strong facilitators leading conversations in all of these different spaces. That's what both of us do, and we both feel very strongly. And I think too many people think, oh, you can just hire the SVP of new business or just assign the sponsor's guy to just lead it. But you really need talent and skill to facilitate in all of these different platforms. So you need to find the right resources. And I'm not just saying that because I am the right resource. <laughs> but also as someone who attends events, I want someone there who can manage the flow 
Yeah, and, and I would say, again, I'm biased because this is what I've done for years and, and what I do now, but I think through the pandemic, I think that the meetings industry has realized the value of a professional MC because yeah. you can fake it with your board president or your vice president of sales who has a great personality in a live thing because it's a little bit different. But even in-person events, a great MC who can content weave who can keep the energy high, who can thread what went on with every speaker over the last three days, it causes people to lean in and want to come back. And so I think we're going to see that role of MC take a higher place, both in person and in the hybrid world moving forward. And in fact, the National Speakers Association just released a white paper on what makes a good master of ceremonies. And that's open to any meeting planner. It's on their website at nsaspeaker.org. And if you can't find it, you can just email them and they'll send you the white paper. It's free to all meeting planners. Or you can just call Tom or I and we'll help. <laughs> That's right. You don't need to know anybody else, just us. Love it. And, and, and Tom, I think you made a couple very interesting points along with Lori there, especially when we go back to the 365 model. You mentioned South by Southwest, which is going on, and that's fortunately one of the projects that I've been uh, able to work on and we're currently helping produce right now. And with that, when we're looking at that 365 model that Lori was really describing, it's almost like you're creating that hyper-personalized LinkedIn. LinkedIn is good for the broadcast one-to-many, but they're also touching every single vertical that exists. When we're talking about either a corporation or an association, these are very almost siloed audiences that have incredible value for each other. So how do we get the content that means the most in front of them? And all those different tools, we keep on bringing up the idea of Clubhouse and things like that, but I, I think it's almost speaking to a lot of the things that, at least from my perspective here at SwapCard, what we're looking at right now is just kind of going along those lines of, creating that way to connect with different individuals, whether it's audio only, whether it's through a Zoom room, whether it's through whereby Remo, other things is that it may not fit every single audience, but you have the flexibility and structure to use all the tools that are available to you as an organizer. And as we kind of touch on that idea of more tools and things like that, I know Tom, one of your actual keynotes was connecting people in a gadgetized crazed world. Now I feel like, especially within the events world, that's probably going to be even more true than ever when we're structuring what we're imagining of hybrid, because you will be engaging through a laptop or a web portal, ramping up and building to that event, like Lori mentioned to when you're on site on your mobile device and then back to that laptop or web portal again. So really, how do you feel that moving forward, we can really start to use these different tools to actually drive maybe human engagement when we're face-to-face on site for those finite few days? Well, I think for the people who are on site, I think we have to be careful to drive them too much to their digital devices. People have over the past 12 years, developed a habit to just get somewhere and stare at their phone. And that cuts down the ability to have human conversations because people think they look busy, they don't wanna bother them. So go back 15 years, when you went to a conference and you went into a breakout room, you were the first one in the room, you'd sit in a chair, somebody else would come in, sit a row away from you, somebody would sit three seats away from you. And eventually one of you would be like, hey, did you see that keynote this morning? Oh my gosh, she was fantastic, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I've seen her before, did you buy her book? And all of a sudden you'd have eight people 
for the 20 minutes until that breakout started, just chatting away. And then those people would be like, well, let's go get lunch when this is over. And then they'd walk out of the breakout going, oh, my gosh, I took four pages of notes. And that's how live conferences operated. Or you'd be in line to get coffee at the coffee cart in the convention center, and you'd turn to the person behind you and go, wow, this barista is kind of slow. And they'd be like, oh, not as slow as the Starbucks in my neighborhood. And then all of a sudden you're talking about where you get coffee and why you use a Keurig and everything else. And, oh, my God, that's not good for the environment. And you're laughing and you're having a good time. Then you go to the next session and you sit together. Nowadays, everybody's on a phone. And if they're not given permission to put the phone away and talk to each other, then you end up with – a lot of people filling out their survey saying, I came all this way to the live event and the content was great, but I wanted more networking. So often I hear from meeting planners that their audiences say we wanted more networking. And so they extend the happy hour and they leave the open bar open longer. And then you look around and everybody's on their phones. So what you need to do is create a culture where the people who are live and in person know that there's a time and a place to check their phone and a time and a place to play in the pool. And I think this is going to be more important as soon as the in-person events come back. I think it's going to be more important than it's ever been before. I was talking to a potential client and I have content. I call it being the conference catalyst, meaning that when I'm your MC or your opening speaker, I set the permissions for people to have live conversations, whether they're introverted or extroverted, people will actually talk. And I'd worked for this woman years ago and she said, I need to hire you when we go back to in-person, which is probably 2022. But she goes, I can't screw up the networking. She has a conference for 600 people. She goes, we can't screw it up when we come back because live events, that's why people are coming back. They're hungry for that human touch. And yet we're in this gadget crazed world where if you're a little bit shy or even if you're not, if you don't know what to say or whatever, you take out your phone and then nobody can talk to you because you look busy. And then you're like, oh, nobody talked to me. Well, it's because your thumbs were firing away the whole time. So I think that we have to re-educate audiences when we get back to in-person on how to engage in person. And we have to give the people who are in the virtual audiences ways to engage with each other so that they can have, and that's all through digital and chat and maybe going to Zoom rooms and doing video breakouts. But we have to give people the ability to connect where they are and not try to treat the virtual people like they're on site and the on site people like they're virtual. But I do like this idea of during a breakout or during a keynote, if you're in the room logging on, as I said before, to the thing and being part of the chat with the people at home, because then you can both be in the same place. Just remember to turn your sound down so you're not hearing it live and through your phone. Yeah. And I think going along those lines, it's being more structured and efficient with your time, especially when you're on site. What we're seeing uh, here is that a lot of times when we're looking at some of the hybrid experiences today that are going on primarily in say Dubai and the Middle East that are have those high vaccination rates as a country, where we're seeing a lot of individuals like you described, Tom, where they are actually using the either web portals or uh, platforms like Swapcard as a tool to schedule all of those meetings ahead of time so that when they get on yes. site, their schedule is full. I don't have the chance to look at my phone or at least if I did so, I scheduled a specific hour of the day that I'm not going to take any meetings. And, and I think that's smart, although I wouldn't say schedule yourself full because the greatest <laughs> thing about being in person is serendipity. So schedule yes. yourself 65% full. <laughs> Right. Agreed. And I also like, I went to an event, this is 15 years ago called Picnic in Europe. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, 
it was one of the best things I ever went to because similar to swap card, your badge had a Bluetooth emitter on it. And so when you walked by someone, it pinged your profile and it let you know who that day you spent a certain amount of time with. And it even there were even setups, and this was before NFC, but now NFC is doing this to a certain extent, where you would walk by something and it would take a picture of both of you. And so you were instantly on Twitter in a photo together. And so things like that, where you can leverage that CRM that's happening with a swap card, still have the physical and not be so glued to the digital device, but afterwards have that connection. Because how many times have we been like, who was that person I had that great conversation with? You have 20 business cards, but you didn't have time to put the notes. So having that sort of digital partner for the physical, I think, is really the win-win here where you can leverage being in person, but have that digital afterglow, <laughs> <laughs> which I loved, by the way, Robert, I loved after IAIE Expo, mm -hmm. I loved going in and finding out who attended my presentation mm -hmm. and, and then being able to follow up and not be rushed and not be freaked out that, oh, I better take care of this right now. It gave me the time. And so you want that digital post connection so that you can actually do the work afterwards. And, and Robert, one more thing around that, which can be both digital and sort of serendipitous live in person, is I never used to be a fan of like speed networking where you'd sit and talk <laughs> to somebody and then you'd switch every three minutes. But if I, as a master of ceremonies, if they were doing one, I would volunteer to be the host of it because I knew that I could keep it moving and keep it fun and tell stories between each round. But it, I didn't encourage clients to do it. I'm now working with two clients who are going to do fall hybrid conferences. And we're working on how do we customly design speed networking? And I'm the one recommending it because as this other client said, she can't screw they, they, We can't leave networking to chance when we get back in person or people are going to be like, oh, that was it. So we're working it in. But because there's also a digital audience, they're using a speed networking app mm -hmm. where the, while the live people are doing it, People can do it via video and meet people during the same time. And then I will MC both. We'll keep them on sort of opposite, like switching and networking and switching and networking. So I'll run back and forth between the camera and the room and we'll make it fun. And I'll tell stories of what's going on online to the live people so that everybody feels they're participating in the same thing. Now, it's kind of an experiment because we're trying something, having two different groups doing speed networking and we're bringing technology into it along with musical chairs. And yet, I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. I, I, I love, I wish I could involve you in my dating life. With that. <laughs> <laughs> but I also think, too, the other thing that we're going to need to do, and this is just something to think about, is over the next six months to a year, reteach people how to network. Yes. Because I think we have been very isolated. I don't know about you guys, but I have been in situations now because I've been vaccinated. So I'm in situations now where I'm around some people and it's a little weird because we're not used to being around each other again. And especially in business where there's another layer of sort of <clears throat> weirdness anyway. Laura, you bring, you bring up a really important yeah. point for meeting planners. And that is there've been studies. I forget if it was the New York times I read somewhere that where they said, look, Social skills, they've done surveys of people who go to Antarctica or in solitary confinement or go to the space station and they come back. They're a little bit socially awkward if they've been away from people and they're afraid that we're going to have an entire society that's just a little socially awkward. 
And so that's, I'm totally focused on for my career is working with associations and companies to help their audiences have that in a fun way that doesn't say, hey, you're all socially awkward, but that basically says, let's have fun with our re-entry. That's what I'm sort of calling it is the re-entry. Even for me, like just having to brush the back of my head, you know what I mean? Like we haven't had, we've only had to wash like the front. That's right. Putting on long pants will be a shock for many people. Putting on on pants at all. honest. So, so I, I think that's part of the human element that we really are going to have to factor in the next year. We can't just plunge deep in. We just have to factor in everything that's going on. And also all these new business models, a lot of the exhibitors and attendees businesses have been shocked in the last year. And there have been disruptors that have come up in during this time. And so there just has to be a tenderness around new models, new ways of doing things, all of this. We just have to be super aware that we're in a tender re-entry time, you know? Yeah, and I think it's across all of those bridges, keeping that level of authenticity. At the end of the day, that's really what matters, especially when we're talking about a community level engagement of audiences. And as we're kind of coming up towards the end of the conversation today, I really want to just kind of tee up one last question to the both of you. Obviously, we talked and covered about so many different things today and different things that organizers should consider, keep in mind. You look at the articles out there, it's endless. But what would you say would be the one thing that an organizer should have at the top of their mind throughout from the point that they start planning through implementation, just as that constant reminder every step of the way and every time you're ideating? Tom, I'll kick it off to you to start. Specifically look for your master of ceremonies and hosts. And if you're doing a hybrid event, you need two different people. You need someone on the stage and someone who is the eyes and ears and voice of your virtual audience. So you need a team if you're doing a hybrid event, but your master of ceremonies and then all of your main stage keynote speakers and maybe all of your breakout speakers need to be on board that they're not just showing up, giving a speech and leaving. You need them involved before, during, and after the event on social media, live on the premises, if there's an in-person component. I think that the big change is speakers can no longer show up, give a speech, say thank you, and be in a limo five minutes later to the airport. I think that just getting to the human engagement part, I think that everyone who takes any stage at a conference has to be part of the planning and promotion of that event. And if the speaker's not willing to go the extra mile, then hire somebody else. Lori, same question to you. Yeah, well, I absolutely think Tom is is absolutely right there. And I've been saying this for years, and I think there's a broader category here of just finding the right talent. And that talent is the MCs and the hosts, but it's also building the right CRM platform to support hybrid, which means that you're going to go outside of the event world and you're gonna maybe hire people that understand user experience online, and you're gonna build a digital platform to support digital transformation. So you wanna have the talent that's in front of the camera, but you also wanna have talent behind programming correctly. And this also goes for sponsors and exhibitors too. It is not enough to just have a video and a PDF. You've gotta create an experience online that may involve some 3D elements, maybe some of these virtual environments like a Verbella, whatever it is, 
but you've got to expand your capabilities in this space. And I would be using this year, which is another sort of, not a year in wash, but a year that everyone's going to be sort of getting their feet again and playing around. You better be building something this year because 2022, you're going to come out fighting and you want to have that platform and that talent, Lori Schwartz and Tom Singer, <laughs> involved in your show. No, I absolutely love it. And obviously, thank you again to the audience for joining us again this month to talk all things event, hybrid, and marketing. That was Lori Schwartz, who is the founder of StoryTech and then keynote speaker and event MC Tom Singer. Thank you both for joining us today and joining the Inside Events podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Inside Events podcast by Swapcard. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or would like to access a special discount just for our podcast listeners, send a message to podcast at swapcard.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time on Inside Events.